You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-blowing. All right, here we are. Here we are the, indeed. Yes. Sir. It's the next to last show of the year. Wait, I thought this was the last show. Well, we've got to do the uh, year in review. I thought this was the year in review. No. This is Dr. Future. Oh, hey, Dr. Future. Yeah. Oh, where am I? <laughs> What's up, Doc? Normal. I was just teleported here. I, I, Got to hang out of that Nazi bell a little bit less there. De Glocka. Do what? De Glocka. De Glocka. That's it. Anyway, it's good to be here. It's good to it's have like you. Old, how many years have I been coming here? It's been, well, we've six? been doing it six years. We've only been at Ross for three of those six years. Okay. All right. So. Just like old times. Yeah. I mean, you've, <laughs> you've, you've been in the studio a lot. Mike stuck in front of my face. Yeah. yeah. Reminds you of something? Yeah. Reminds you of the old days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reminds me of talking to strange people. Now I'm the strange person. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. It's good, it's, it's good to be with all the conspiranormians out there. Yeah. What, what is, what species are they? What's the name? You, you know, you've asked me this before. 
I, I think like the conspira- conspiranormal ites. I don't know. I know it's kind of yeah. like a, how about conspiranormians? I totally just, like that. Cons- conspiranormals. How about the conspirators? I've always that? said on this show it should be conspira abnormal when I'm on. That's true. Well, I mean, we've had much more abnormal people than you. I don't know. Future. They seem to be pretty much the center mainstream of America that you have on this show, I think. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Mom and apple pie. Well, Dr. Future, how's your 2018 been? 2018? Taking the tough ride in 2018. This is one to forget. You know, um, I lost one of my very, very dearest and uh, my co-host Pyro from Future Quake. Uh, went to be back with his maker today or this year, so that was tough. Yeah, that's and then true. I had a health scare this summer. Uh, I may have a foreign object growing in my bile duct. They're still trying to figure that out. And if it turns out it is, then I'm not long for this world. So we'll find out again next summer. Well, that's not ha- to be that, a downer I mean, or that's, anything. That's some real happy news. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So so far now it's not. I've not succumbed to it, but. Already lost my gallbladder as part of it. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Taking I, mean, the I lost my gallbladder this year, too. Well, I did that sympathetically so. with you. If you know, it was a few weeks <laughs> yeah. after yours. I said, well, yank mine out, too. Is You're this kind of like Moonchild's <laughs> by proxy or something? It's, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's why I've been taking syringes with the feces and sticking it in my veins. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, people metaphorically will think of this interview probably in a similar way. <laughs> That's probably true. They'll probably have a similar experience with this. Yeah. But first, I wanted to share this with everybody. Uh, this is actually from the Russian troll farm. All right. Uh, one of the. Finally, so not this the is an list. actual meme from the Russian troll farm in which Jesus counsels someone addicted to masturbation. And it has a picture of Jesus consoling a young man with his with his head in his hands and it says struggling with the addiction to masturbation, reach out to me and we will beat it together. (laughs) (laughs) You can't hold hands with God when you're masturbating. Use our outline, use our hotline. If you need help, that's from the actual Russian troll farm. Yeah. That was one of the ones they discovered recently when it came out in a report. Yeah. Why? So, so someone's actually getting an hourly wage to make stuff like that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Our enemy. <laughs> Over there in Moscow. Mm-hmm. There's a department that just specializes in and that And obviously the, uh, the euphemisms don't translate well either. <laughs> <laughs> we can beat it together. It must be more of a capitalist imperialist problem. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. But those good old days were so much simpler. Yeah, and they were the Reds. Didn't they just come out with some report not too long ago about that the Russians were that they had paid Black Lives Matter right. people, or they were trying to get they were trying to pay for people to like do tra- like militant training or something? Wasn't there something like that that just came out pretty recently? No, I don't know about what they're doing. I just I don't knew recall. they funded. They're funding both sides. Yeah, yeah it's all just destabilization. Right, cause chaos. Right, which leads you to think maybe a common theme is when somebody is wanting you to not only demonize some other people as that overall group, but then also take strong actions against them. Be careful. Yeah, no doubt. And it was the latest thing today was Michael Flynn got, he's not been sentenced, but the judge told him that he pretty much committed treason. 
Yeah. Yeah, I saw that when they were reporting. Well, his his brilliant attorney's got this great idea that they were there just to say, oh, I'm sorry, here's what I did. I'm so sorry, so therefore go easy on me. They decided to just go full-blown conspiracy theory on the judge after they had already agreed to the plea bargain and agreed to accept guilt, and everybody understood that going into the courtroom, his attorneys at the 11th hour decided to say, oh, this is all a crock. He was set up, blah, 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 after they had already agreed to say they were guilty. And the and the judge didn't take that very well. And I think he was a little bit of an independent street guy anyway. Mm-hmm. But basically what he told them was, are you sure you want to close this out today? Because... When they were like doing this again and basically showing that they were totally unrepentant after they said they were, he was ready to put him in, put him in jail, mm-hmm. which he should. I mean, he's he was an incredibly high level person. You know, the low level guys they'll throw them in jail just like they'll throw low level junkies in jail, but they won't put the top push top uh, drug kingpins in jail. Right. Well, that's the way they do with this guy. You know, this he has absolutely zero excuse. Knew all this was wrong. Well, in the past, could you even flirt with something that could be misconstrued as you being treasonous when it was the Reds, you know? What? So why why is that okay now to even, for things to even appear that they yeah. could be like that? Well, I mean, it's just total if you, if you all are on the same tribe, the law doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's just a total tribe. double standard. Yeah, if it doesn't, and particularly if you're a high-level official, a national security advisor, he is the highest yeah. security official in our nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the True. last one you would no. want bought. Things should not even appear or be suspicious. I mean, he has all the secrets, all the keys to the kingdom. All of the information would be in his hands. And he already was selling himself to the highest bidder. The Turks, uh, who knows who else, the Russians as well. You, I mean, you could survey 330 million Americans in terms of their suitability for that job, and he would be near the bottom of that list. And so he was handpicked to be there. At least he was consistent because he has overwhelming numbers of other people who also were dealing with the Soviets at the, or Russians at the same time, you know, on the transition team and cabinet. Was it 16 people so far they've confirmed, I think? I'm sure that's just a fluke. Happens all the time. <laughs> Where do you think this is going with the Mueller investigation? I really... Since, you know, we're kind of, this is the end of the year. I usually ask you for your predictions... I, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I really have the no Democrats idea. Democrats taking the house. What kind eleventh hour thing is going to happen? I tell you, what's one thing that's a little bad for Donald Trump is that Judge Napolitano now said that he feels like he has grounds for indictment yeah. uh, now. You know, and that would have been one of his staunchest supporters that this was all that's you know Fox illegal crowd, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then he he says that then that's that's not good. But if they do turn, they'll turn on him quickly because there's no such loyalty like that in politics if they decide for some reason. But you got a group of people that, like he said, the most truthful thing Donald Trump ever said was that if he shot somebody out on Fifth Avenue, he wouldn't lose any support. Yeah. I remember when he said that, and that's, that's shown to be exactly true. Anything inflammatory that's said or totally classless or meddling with, you know, or, or hurtful to people like children, people like that. He's proven there's nothing that can do that. It reminds me of a lot of cults where you see the cult leader will do something just totally outrageous in front of the people to be able to show to them that he has them under their control. 
But Mike, the emails. Come on. Yeah. Hey, I don't mind if other people join him in jail if they're appropriate. I load them all up. <laughs> Lock them I'm all not, up. I'm not. Par- I'm not parochial about you know part, but there has to be evidence for it, and I, I think that was already studied. Yeah. And you have to have something there to pin it on. And if somebody did something, you know, if they want to go do another investigation on that, I think it'll spin its wheels. But whatever, I don't want to show you. I'm, everybody's got to be held accountable. To, ju- to justice, but when you find something that's absolutely wrong, you better do something then. Well, that's that's kind of the thing. What I've been looking into all this year has been how everybody sees or looks at the people that are like really into Trump, that they really believe that he's like this force for good, like this, mm-hmm. the QAnon crowd, you know? And... I agree that the deep state doesn't have the interests of the people at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's where I would disagree yeah. with. You know, probably most of the of the kind of like the left leaning liberal crowd, but it, who did it? Who weren't deep state supporters until now? Yeah, right, right. And but the thing is, is that you know to say that like, well, Trump is good because he's an. Op- in supposed opposition, supposed yeah, and when and keyword is is supposed because he just keeps appointing people that are just part of the deep state. Like today, he appointed some guy that right. was in the CIA that was involved with the Rand Contra. Right. I mean, how more deep state can you get? Well, now there's some that weren't deep state. They were Wall Street hedge fund managers. And we know they're looking out for us, too. The looking out for the little guy? <laughs> yeah. Like Mnuchin and uh, the other guy that just yeah. left and others. Yeah. They got a bunch of hedge fund managers because they can relate to little guys like you and me. And yeah. heaven forbid they'd have another agenda. Well, I can sleep at night interest. knowing that Mnuchin is the Secretary of Treasury. You know, he uh, that yeah. fills me with a lot of confidence. Yeah. Him and his, like, uh, what was his... his it, him and his wife posing with the stacks of money. Uh-huh. And the, yeah, holding up the her and her furs. And, and she everything. has her little champagne glass getting off the uh, that jet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, man. You yeah. too. Oh, that's my favorite phrase ever. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, like Donald Trump did. I mean, you think about it. He's such a self-made man. I mean, all, all he had was started with, I think it was $60 million as a child. And his dad's Rolodex of insider real estate contacts and the shirt on his back. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a self-made man if I ever heard one. I think that's a story all of us could tell well, pretty much. Well, remember in the summer when it came out and nobody cared? Nobody cared about this. But in the summer, it came out of just how much him and his really his father had cheated the government right. in taxes for years and years. What they documented. And that should have been huge, but it was just like nobody cared. Nobody right. cared that that... <laughs> right. Collective yawns. Yeah. Right. Uh, which, I mean, here's the conclusion I come to. What does this say? You know, Trump has always been Trump. He's always been, a, you know, horse's end. Yeah, he's getting one from New York. They, yeah, he's right. consistent. You know the product you're getting, like McDonald's. You know you know what you're getting when you go to McDonald's or you deal with Donald Which Trump. Which he loves McDonald's, by the way. <laughs> okay, well, good. That's true. He does. I forgot. <laughs> because they're clean. I know the restaurants will be clean. Um, but the uh, but the people who support him, yeah, particularly the people who come from my, you know my background, Bible Belt, religious right kind of people. What does that say about their morality? 
How could they ever lecture again about the bad morals of somebody else? How could Dr. Dobson, Mr. Focus on the Family, after he has put all his reputation on backing this guy, ever point his finger at anybody else? For you know how they treat people of the opposite sex, or how they their their morality and stuff. I mean, they have totally. It's 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 like um, uh, Esau in the Bible. I mean, they have sold their spiritual birthright for just a a mess of trout porridge. Mm-hmm. They got bought cheap, and then they're going to end up having nothing at the end. They they think there's somebody actually loyal to them for who they are, rather than just some votes. You know, isn't the narrative that they're pushing though that like this is a uh, God works in mysterious ways kind of thing, and He would choose the most worldly man? To, well, why didn't yeah. He? <laughs> why, why God didn't pick Hillary Clinton because she's the great whore Babylon, according right, I guess right. to Tom Horn. Seems like God would use that even more so. Wouldn't God he? voted. You know, I thought I thought we chose this. <laughs> oh come on, get with it, Rob. Sorry, come on. Sorry, come on. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like, well, the more profane then, then I guess the more God loves him then, right? Why didn't we? Why didn't we pick? Uh, who, who's the uh, hustler publisher? Uh, Larry Flint. Larry Flint. He would have been the ideal <laughs> man, don't you think so? Yeah, he ran for president, didn't he? Yeah, and maybe he did. I think that's when he when he got shot. But. Yeah, but I mean, he would be by that ju- judgment criteria. He we couldn't have a better president than that put our children's fate in his hands. Or maybe even Jared from Subway. (laughs) He would be another one that would be... Reliable. Well, I'm just taking that train of thought, you know, to its logical conclusion. Yeah. So we're talking about Something that you have written that I don't think you am writing in the midst of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a working project, project. Yeah, so I wanted to use that as a like the crux of the conversation tonight. All right, because I read this today, and I have to say that I'm pretty impressed by it. And it's it, for when, once when you, yeah, when when you actually put this thing out if that is your plan you're yeah. going to have so many people mad at you it's not yeah. even funny the, the handful that aren't mad at me yet but aren't mad at you <laughs> yeah. already yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is called the conservative gospel versus the Jesus gospel yeah yeah now let's talk about what the conservative gospel is yeah in your viewpoint well, if I can what describe, you mean by that? can I describe a preamble of how I even got to yeah, doing absolutely, this? Absolutely. Um, you know, my main gig is writing this. Um, it's now fifteen volumes so far, Holy War Chronicles on the history of holy wars. Right in the trying to get this thing wrapped up with a few more volumes and be done with it and going through books. And I try to post on my blog the Two Spies Report, which I recommend everybody read. Because all this information of which I'm going to very poorly summarize here will be there um, for comment before too long. And uh, But there's a lot of other stuff. The last few posts I did, I'd like everybody to read that. It's two spies like Joshua and Caleb, the two spies in, in Land of Promise. Two spies report at wordpress.com. And anyway, uh, I try to post on there just on rare occasion to let people know I'm not dead. 
and I'm still alive and still working on books and just make comments, and it usually just honks off a few of my former listeners who wonder what's happened to me and did I hit my head or something. And I'm, I put in there a post about my recent time voting, and uh, it showed me voting and about all – this was like right when we didn't know how the midterms, what was going to happen. And a lot of old people showed up, and they had pretty grim determination. And I even asked them, like, well, what do you, you know, while we're waiting in line to vote, I said, what do you, you think is going on with things right now? And, you know, I can remember one of the guys, he just says, it's best that I not talk about it right now. And you could tell they were in this for some serious Yikes. stuff, whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine here in, you know, Red State, Tennessee, what Absolutely. they were there for. Yeah. And uh, so I wrote a little bit about that, and I wrote now. And this is not Davidson County where we are, which is a blue speck in the sea of red. I, I, godless pinkos, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean <laughs> in a nice County, way, yeah. But, uh, but and I have to tell for I think a lot of your listeners know me already, so they already know what they're going to get. You know, they're going to get one of these uh, goody two shoes uh, preaching at you. So, but that affects the spiritual affects my view of the world. And I want it to do more so. I'm, and that's part of what this writing is, is to try to get my head right with what I think is going on outside this world. The paranormal part of your show. So what I'm doing has a, the paranormal part and the conspiracy part, both of your shows, in my concern. And because uh, the paranormal influences the conspiracy. But uh, I, I wrote about how people who say that they're people of faith, like I try to be, uh, basically... Say they believe in some other kingdom, you know, that's the eternal one that they're going to one day, but yet they act like this is all there is, and there's just basically a general selfishness of what I can get, and therefore I hate anybody else that could be a rival to get, whether they're an immigrant or somebody who looks different or or whatever, and it's this continuing theme, and so I wrote about how I realized they had lost touch with the people who they're saying they're following, like, you know, Jesus of Nazareth specifically, who, who, who said the opposite of what I'm hearing, the discourse of people of faith that I hear now. And, and then the next one, I, I talk about why did these people get thinking this way where they're just so hateful to people who are different? And I, I, I put a blog post that had a very, uh, very mild, uh, you know, innocuous title of, of uh, Hannity and Fox News, Rat Poison for Christians. Would you know how to have as a bumper sticker? Right. I got that as a bumper sticker on my car. And my wife says, well, you're going to get keyed pretty soon. You know that. Um, <laughs> but, but I have to explain, I was raised in not an overly political household, you know, but it was definitely conservative. It was conservative religiously and conservative. I mean, they just presume you vote Republican and, you know, from pretty much Reagan on, uh, which is where, you know, when I started voting was at that time. And um, so I was raised in a very conservative environment. When Fox News came along, that sort of became the default thing on the TV, you know, when I got to be on my own. Uh, My wife and I actually went, when we were in New York City, we stood outside Fox and Friends and waved at the windows to the hosts there that we knew and liked, you know. And these were all people, you know, just identified with in that whole culture. I worked at a military base for 16 years, rubbed shoulders with military people. I I did not have experience around military until then, so I was a blank slate. And when you're trying to help the warfighter know how to like wipe out people, that affects you 
psychologically when it's your bread and butter. And you see other things that you're, you're not so sure about that people who don't work around them all the time might not know. But all that influenced me. And so it wasn't until I had time to take a breather from sort of rendering to Caesar, so to speak, and just focus on earning a living until I started doing Future Quake, that I had the time to start doing some reading. And, you know, I read the Bible my whole life. Uh, for 50 years, I've been involved in church, very, very active, reading it, care a lot, the Bible a lot, big into Bible prophecy, which also got you really big into, like, bombing other nations to help bring about the end of the world and get excited on, you know, who's Israel going to bomb next and things like that. So that was my world. And still involved in a church that you would call it a Bible-believing church, but one different in attitude. So, so that's where I'm coming from, and that's where I was. But when I started doing Future Quake, I had a chance to do some more reading. finally had time to think, and I started having people that challenged me on that were really smart. In some ways, I think they were more ethical, moral, and for the people that ran the station, you know, they weren't church-going people, but they cared about people, really. And the people who were guests challenged me. And so that began a process, and that was sort of my high school of my thinking. And then when I decided to start writing these books, like around 2012 and ended Future Quake, I, I think I went into like the college of starting to challenge stuff. And so this writing is sort of getting closer and closer to like a ground state manifesto of where my mind has changed and where I'm reassessing my background, on one hand, I believe in all the teachings Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount and all these things he says, and how great. And then I find the culture I was raised in, it's really hard to harmonize the two. And what this writing that I did is just a sort of a thinking out loud kind of thing of comparing what I've heard in the conservative news, what I've heard in talk radio and media, and just in my circles, and what I read in the Bible, and I find out there's like total cognitive dissonance between yeah. the two. And I also find out that even if you mention that to a lot of other people, like church people that I'm with, a lot of them, mm-hmm. that it's fighting words. They're not in any kind of mood to even discuss it. And you can read the comments on my blog and recognize that they're not, even if you're just using the words of Jesus as the context to ask questions, that they're not ready to handle it. And uh, one of the things I mentioned in that that last blog post about this and why I thought it was such a concern was that I really started thinking, and I talked to my pastor a lot, who's a really good friend of mine, and he's not into the political stuff. He's, he just sticks with the simple teachings of Jesus, yeah. and he's tolerant of me. And, and I told him, you know, when, when I think he wonders sometimes, are people really drinking in some of the words of Jesus that he teaches and talks about? And I said, look, you got them for 45 minutes one day a week, mm-hmm. trying to tell them how to know how to love their neighbor, how to look out, have compassion, these kind of things. But they're going to church all week. But where they're going to church is the church of Sean Hannity and Fox News. And when they're in their car every day for, you know, however long, 45-minute commute, going to work and back, they are a captive audience to whatever gospel is being preached on these shows. Yeah, I've often described that, that because having listened to a lot of, that kind of talk radio myself. Yeah. After you, after a while, you just have it on, and it's just background noise. But you just you start that repetition just starts to brainwash you. The narrative, the yeah. narrative, how every however issues framed is set up by them. They get home, they turn on Fox News when they're on eating dinner, and 
you can notice it's a constant assault you know they tell you who the real enemies are yeah they tell you who really is out to get you they will take complex issues and boil them down to just this whole people group's the enemy or whatever and it's nice and comfortable it makes you feel proud about yourself and glad you're not like them like those terrible people and i told my pastor i said you can't undo that in 45 minutes once a week when they're actually just the sheer repetition of that much. So then that's when I started really thinking about how much it's been rat poison for people who say, oh, I love Jesus, and I go to church every week, and I love all this, but everything that spouts out of their mouth is like the words of the enemy and not Mm -hmm. Jesus. And so trying to get back to writing my book and stuff, I started thinking about I need to just actually just take time and write down Issue by issue, what I hear, because I have, again, decades, many decades of being in the middle of the conservative circles, what they believe about every issue, and then go back and read about what Jesus said, or the apostles and others. And you read what I, work I'm doing, and to me it's pretty stark, the difference when you actually take the time to put it on paper, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and that was just what a 20-minute preamble to your question. Um if I, if I were to try to encapsulate it in a bumper sticker of uh, – there's probably, what, 20, 25 issues that I bring up one at a time that I take the, the gospel of Hannity Fox News and then the gospel of Jesus. But if I would put a general blanket statement over them, if, if your listeners are familiar with, in the book of Revelation, the horsemen of the apocalypse – and the, these, when these, these seals are open, people get real confused because it's a, it's a deep, mysterious book, okay? A lot of people think, oh, well, there's going to be some giant guy riding on a horse across the land in the future or something like that. To me, it, to me, what it says is in those passages is that there is a trial being held in heaven because they're all waiting for the judge to show up, and the lamb who's been slain is the judge. They say, now the judge has arrived. And so... There's a there is a jury seated that the twenty four elders or what they would call back then the minor Sanhedrin, and then the judge shows up and then they open these seals. But those seals, in a courtroom setting, are indictments, just like they're doing now in all these things with Mueller. You unseal indictments of what crimes are, and I believe what those horsemen are are the unsealing of the crimes during the age of humanity. That the the higher great Sanhedrin, the principalities and powers, or Benai Elohim, or whatever you want to call them, administering the nations, what they did to the people of the earth. And repeatedly in that book, it says what they did to kill the saints, or the good people of the earth, and also to destroy the earth itself. That the destruction of the earth came from these people. And so there's three main horsemen that come out. There's a white rider on a white horse, which I think I've probably talked about in your show before, I believe to be false religion that masquerades itself as being Jesus or God, but it's really a dominionist thing to try to, as it says, to conquering and to conquer and having the gold crown put on its head of earthly government. That um, this theocratic view that while Jesus says my kingdom is not of this earth, if it were, my servants would fight for it. And they completely ignore what he says. And they say, well, no, this is going to be our kingdom and we're going to take it over. Mm-hmm. And it's been done ever since probably the time of Constantine and our religious right today, believing as much as they ever have. Um, 
You had Catholic elements that want to do that. You've had Protestant elements that want to do it, and others that that want to use somehow the sanction from God that they and the thing that they don't understand or people get behind them is is when that happens in history and and like whether it's the Puritans whoever the people who are in greatest danger when those people take over are other people of faith because suddenly they don't measure up to what the people who are in charge are and they you know the Puritans weren't going out killing pagans they were hanging Baptists and you know Quakers and people like that that's who they went after. And yeah, they went Europe, after, as you say, they went after your people. Right. Uh, and the 30 years war is, you know, the most Christians that have ever been killed have been from other Christians that were in power. Yep. And so um, I think there's that theocratic arm that believes we're going to take God's law and use the profane use of, of the state to try to bring about God's kingdom. That's one element of the conservative gospel. The second uh, is the rider on the red or the red horse, which believes in it talks about these riders on horses of basically military armies shedding blood, massacring people, raping and pillaging and destroying the earth and that 's another thing they really love. The conservative gospel loves the rider on the red horse they love if people are professional killers if they if they carry like the most powerful firearms on earth and are paid professionally to go kill other people. And they can repel from the ceiling at a certain church here Particularly, in yeah, if they make it really boss yeah. like that, yeah. And if, and, and <laughs> pardon my French, but if you, if you really act badass, okay, yeah. <laughs> they want you to speak at their church at a lot of churches. Because that, you know, when we have Oliver North, who was actually shown in court for uh, giving weapons to our supposed enemies, the Iranians, with the help of the Israelis, who also are supposed to be at enemies with them, and he was getting kickbacks for it. And so he's invited to be the hero in our church. We don't have people who risk their lives without weapons come speak at our church, like social workers or teachers or people out there trying to help the homeless. We had to bring people in who are used to kicking doors in. So that's what that's else what is the centerpiece it is the deification of martial power and law and then the rider on the third horse the black horse that controls the scales of the commodities of the earth the oil and the wine and the other things and determines the exchange rates of it can can bring poverty to any part of the world it wants with its banking and control of precious resources the economic power of the world they love that too the rider on the black horse, and that's why if they don't have a Delta Force person come speak to inspire everybody at their church, they'll go have somebody from Wall Street. And the, the truly successful people who God has blessed to be able to corner the market with tremendous wealth and, and wretched excess or have built a huge corporate empire, those are our role models that will inspire and speak at our Christian conferences and things like that. So I detect a theme there. That the horsemen, and, and by the way, the fruit of those three horsemen is what you see in the fourth horseman, which is follows right on the heels of them, which is death and Hades, and the death of pestilence. You, you think about the fruit of the three people I talked about and what they've done in history. Basically, when they're through going through a land, you get the land is raped, whether it's the uh, bananas grown by United Fruit Company that are of one species, and so it ruins the land because it's the most profitable kind and you can't grow anything afterward, or it's the deforestation of 
Central and South America, which were done by people running Christian universities like Laterno University and others came in there and and raped the land or got behind guys like Yes, Mont. it's the same Laterno, right? Is right. it the same? Uh, now, I don't know about that okay. Laterno. But now, Mary Kay Laterno, who you're referring to, was the daughter of one of the guys' heads of the Knights of Malta, which was a, uh, a very extreme hard-right Catholic person. Yeah. So it comes Protestant Catholic. It cuts both ways. Uh, but the um, but th- th- that's sort of the nutshell of it. And I-, I would say another way to capsulize, if you could even use the term left and right, I think one thing, if I had to use one little way to phrase the difference in the two, the people on the left are afraid of the people richer than them taking their stuff, and the people on the right are worried about the people poorer than them taking their stuff. And I think that's sort of in a nutshell how it comes down. Now, there's a bunch of other issues that are side issues, like how do you look at people who are different? How, how do you look at people that just had the misfortune of not being, buried, being born in your zip code? How, how do you treat those kind of people? And, and on and on. But I think you get the gist of what, of what it is. Right. And as opposed to that in the title versus the Jesus gospel. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, again, I know this sounds preachy. I, I appreciate your listeners who, uh, I don't think they tolerate BS. I hope they don't. Yep. So, oh, no, they'll let us know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, and, and I hope even if they think I'm naive or ridiculous in my quaint little beliefs, I hope at least they believe that I'm sincere and that I would never try to sell them a fake bill of goods that I didn't believe, I believe myself. Anyone listens feels and that way, but you don't. I don't have a financial so. agenda. I'm not trying to yeah. sell something or, you know pull something over on them. So I'm just telling them how I think. But um, the, uh, remind me again what you were saying. The Jesus gospel. The Jesus gospel. Well, the thing that I noticed is that, you know, anybody can take a few verses out of the Bible and we, we all know how it's been contorted to say the most ridiculous things. And it's really, really dangerous to take one or two verses. Use a one verse out of the Bible to justify That's how cults get started. Okay. It's worse than using zero verses. Really. And so you got to be really, really careful. But one thing I discovered when I started looking at this, having looked at the Bible my whole life, is that Jesus and the people who talked about him that came before him, the prophets, and then the people who came after him, the apostles, they had a consistent story from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible. And that was what we hear in the conservative gospel is the absolute opposite of what they taught. And it wasn't just a few times. It was page after page after page. And what you find in that write-up I did when I I put in hundreds and hundreds of verses is that God really, really cares about the vulnerable people in this world. He cares about the poor. He talks about the poor nonstop. He talks about the stranger nonstop. And the stranger in, in, in their land was the immigrant. It was the person who was not born there. They were different. They had a different culture and background. Um, of course, the widow and the orphan, people who are vulnerable and not insiders. He says, that, that's, that's where my heart is. He says, that's, I'm their dad. He says, I look after them. And just something he said a whole bunch of times repeatedly, the same phrase to the, to the Jews who were his people in that era when he first set up a nation. He said, you be kind and love the stranger because you were once strangers in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, and God clearly said that, don't forget where you came from. 
You were the minority. You were the immigrant when you were in Egypt. You know what it's like to be exploited, to be used for cheap labor, to not have benefits, not have, I'm sure they didn't have health care benefits at the time they were having to deliver their own babies. They didn't have any other kind of benefits. They were just cheap labor for the rich Egyptians to live. And so they are mercifully delivered out of that to their own land. God does all sorts of miracles to get rid of enemies out of the way. And what do they do? They start treating other people the way they were treated. And God says, don't forget where you came from. You know, we're a nation of immigrants ourselves. All of us come from history of of people who were persecuted somewhere else, and they were lucky to be here. And and they may have even had a hard time. Our our immigrant ancestors, when they first got here, first generation, probably had a hard time, probably mistreated. But... They made it through and got and got through that. So why don't we learn that same lesson ourselves? So I, I'm sure you noticed when you read that is that it's over and over drilled in the heads. Focus on the poor. Fo- focus on the people who are needy. You know, put, and in fact, he says, you know, he says, I desire mercy and justice rather than sacrifice. And this leads to a point that, that Christian or other people of faith in general debate, Jews, it could be others too, is that they don't want the government telling them, well, we need these programs to take care of these people in welfare. You know, let us do it. And, and the libertarian side of me sees some value in that. It's like, well, everybody should have their own right to decide how much they want to help people who are in need or whatever, and I, I get that. But the, 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 fact, the, the fact of the matter is um, people don't, really do nearly as much as they think they do for people. Um, I just read a story today. In fact, you didn't even get to read it. I added it after you were looking at this, about how much contributions to religious organizations, churches have dropped dramatically. These are the same people that don't want the government telling them what to do as far as welfare or taking care of people. Well, then the onus is on them to do it. The onus is on them to take care of it. They don't want the government to do it, but they don't want to do that either. They don't, they don't want to give their amount. And it's interesting when you see the one government that God actually set up that we have documented. And it, by the way, it's not America, believe it or not. Uh, that might be surprised to a lot of people. But uh, in, in Israel, when, they, when he set it up, it, it's clear in there, when he set up the, the sabbatical years, one-seventh of all years were meant for the land not to be cultivated. It was to grow wild. And it, what was supposed to happen was they were supposed to save up. He says, I'll give you extra amount the year before and the year afterwards. But that year, people were supposed to come up on the land, the poor people, immigrants, anybody who wanted could come up and just pick the wild stuff growing on your All land. the freeloaders. The freeloaders, right. Yeah. Right. They could have whatever it was. Okay. Now, in that society, people were already giving 10% for religious activities like temple stuff, the operations of the priests and the temple and so everything. So 10% was already coming off for the religious side of things. But in addition to that, it's about 15% or one-seventh was just going with no strings attached, no oversight to the poor and the needy. Yeah. On top of that 10, another 15 was, and he says, you know, and then on top of that, it says when they went through and harvested, anytime they harvested, 
you don't go back a second time to go back and get the stuff that fell off. Mm-hmm. You leave that for the poor to pick up. And there's all kinds of verses in there that you so, cite. Yeah, all these yep. godly people, oh, we right. want to be like God. Saying, well, God had it set up where at least 15% of everything they had was supposed to be set aside of the poor without any strings attached, without any litmus test. They just go, just go help themselves, you know, for this kind of stuff. Sounds like Denmark. Yeah, I mean they're just terrible. Forty-five percent taxes and just hor- hor- horrible thing. But happiest you know, place on the planet though. The the yeah, the happiest place on and you know the people of Israel prospered. And what happened was, oh oh, in addition to those every seven years. By the way, any kind of servitude that people did, they had to set them free in that period of time. So that's something Wall Street would hate. You know, Wall Street likes to have perpetual. Uh, <laughs> you know, where you're perpetually stuck with them. Uh-huh. And, and did you know, like, until, like, in my mom and dad's generation, there was no loans that were longer for homes than seven years. Seven years was the maximum mortgage. You didn't have a 30-year mortgage. You could spend most of your and life And now 40 years. Or po- yeah. yeah. And, you know, or children you never pay off because you keep refinancing yeah, you, you, it. Yeah, you can't pay off. <laughs> seven, and you know what happened when they had those mortgages? That's why houses cost like seven or $8,000. Yep. I mean, obviously inflation, part sure. of it. But the other thing was... You were paying almost all principal on a seven-year mortgage, and at that amount, the house prices had to come down. But but they actually had liberation. They had liberation in seven years, you know? And and that's why Wall Street doesn't like these ideas about setting captives free within seven years. And then they had something called the year of Jubilee. Now, this is the most scandalous thing to the conservative gospel that that, that God said. Now, God said a lot of things that would be scandalous to the conservative gospel, but in the 50th year, it was a requirement that all land was redistributed back to the original owners. So the original owners that owned all the land, they had to turn it all back and hand it back to them. So in between those 50-year periods of time, if you bought something, you were almost just sort of buying it like a lease. And so it, the price was prorated because you knew at this certain year on the calendar, everything had to go back. So everybody knew ahead of time, you know, but it did not centralize the wealth in the hands of a handful. And God knew that. And God knew that's what would happen it's in like a society. It's like every few years you got to reshuffle things. It got reshuffled. All debts, yeah. all debts were forgiven. So you didn't even go try to put somebody in debt for like, say, 20 years or 30 years because you knew it was going to get reset anyway. And so all, all of that was, was forgiven at that time. And, you know, the time when they had to make all that stuff was official was at the Day of Atonement, which was the time at which God had to decide whether he was going to judge the people or not or let them go for another year. You know, they, they never got to a point where they were totally free until what we Christians believe in Jesus when he sort of settled it. But the, the most sacred time of the year when they had to decide whether God was going to judge them, one of their requirements was they had to free everybody from their debts because basically what God was saying is, you all are in debt to me. And since you're in debt to me, why are you asking me to, to free you of your debt to me this year and you won't free the debts of the people around you? And it's a good question that God asked. And that's why in the, in the model prayer that Jesus taught, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But also, was it the year of Jubilees that the reason why it's actually given that they're taken out of the land. Isn't there something like that? We know that they did a lot of evil stuff. They set like real pagan fertility gods 
you know, Aleister Crowley stuff in the temple. And in the high places, they were doing it and doing like terrible, evil things. They were um, totally corrupt society as far as the rich taking advantage of the poor and the courts and things like that. And that's all talked about in the prophets. But for all the evils that they did, the one thing that he said that he would definitely send them out of the land was if they didn't honor those years of Jubilee and the, the Sabbath years. That was the one thing he said. Now, you got to understand this. Not only is this trying to be respectful to the poor and the people who are being exploited as the worker bees, but also to the land. God, God is one of those, uh, you know, tree-hugging, you know, earth-worshipping environmentalists because God was worried about the land being exploited by these greedy so-and-sos. When he says, I'm already giving you abundance, give the land a break. Give it one year out of seven. Oh, you know, God says, I took a day off. I took off one out of seven. I'm telling you, you can take one out of seven where you don't work. Why don't you give the land one year out of seven and don't be greedy, so-and-so's. And so he said, if you don't do that and you don't give the land at Sabbath and you don't honor the Jubilee, he says, I'm going to put you in exile for every year you don't give the land a Jubilee, and I will make the land have its rest because I'm going to take you out of it. Mm. And he said that in the prophets way before that happened when they were being really, really bad, this stuff, and they could see that like the Babylonian armies around their doorstep. He reminded them of it. And then when they refused to do it, in fact, at one point, they tried to get God's blessings right when they thought Nebuchadnezzar was going to take them over, and they freed their slaves. And then it says in the scripture that they, they suddenly realized they had nobody to do their dirty work anymore. <laughs> and they reneged from the king on down to everybody. No one, everybody went back and took their slaves back. So you can imagine how God felt about that. God was like, that's worse than ever, never letting them go. And so when they, when they took him out of the land, he told the prophet again, he says, I am sending you and you're going to be gone every year. You didn't give the land a rest and also take care of the poor. And what happened? Scripture says they got hauled off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, who was supposed to be this great super evil guy, he wouldn't give the land back to the poor people. He had the guy that was there. He gave it to the poor. In fact, they had thrown Jeremiah, who had told him all this. They threw him down in a latrine, uh-huh. down the bottom of a portageon, and they went and dug him out of it and cleaned him off, and took care of him. But the poor got their land, and the land got to set uncultivated because they took all of their. You know, there was only a handful of poor left in the land, and they finally got the land back, but they couldn't cultivate it because they didn't have any tools that were taken from. Eventually, in time, they got to do it, and Nebuchadnezzar helped them. But God was serious about it, and he's serious about it now. I don't, I don't see any difference when he thinks about people that want to be in his good graces. It's like, don't be greedy, SOBs, you know? Be grateful for what you have. Share with people who are less fortunate. And that's, you know, that's convicting to me. I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect. It's just gotten me thinking that, you know, I, 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 something I have realized that everybody's out there probably got a million thoughts about who God is and how to know him and your audience. One thing I think I can tell them, people may not agree with what I think about all the details of how to get your spiritual life in order, but if you don't know what to do, be nice to poor people. If you're nice to poor people, and it's not even just Christianity, but most other religious traditions will say, you will get in God's good graces if you give extra grace to people who are needy. And that might just be people who are 
desperately in need of something. It can be somebody who has a temporary medical problem is helpless, or they're helpless because of some crisis, or they've had a relationship crisis or whatever. You do that, you get in God's good graces, even if you haven't worked out all of the other great theologies or whatever like that. Let me read a little bit from your article, essay, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, uh, rant, uh, work in progress. Yeah. Uh, this is, you're talking about Job here. Yeah. And you said, you say, Job described those who know him not regarding God, but who act like some Christians, Christian businessmen in their ruthless regard for their workers and those who fall victim to their exploitative finance and business competition tactics. It's like, so it's like sounding like Karl Marx here, Mike. It's yeah, like, I know. Sorry. <laughs> well, the, I may be a little to, to the left of him. You know. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> I have well, to read my little red book that Chairman Mao gave me. <laughs> but now, now, if you're going to read that, what he says, yeah, I, I'm going to read what Job is yeah. defending himself. Job is defending himself in saying why he thinks God would be pleased with him. And he doesn't talk about the sacrifices that he did or this outer piety of, well, I did these religious kind of procedures or whatever like that. That's not why, God, you should think I'm innocent. Tell the people what Job said, what he knew God really valued to show that he was a good guy. Brothers and sisters, this is your Dr. Future coming here, giving you a message from the great beyond. I want to tell you just to remember my brothers and sisters here at the Conspiracy Normal Show. They're giving it all to you, brothers and sisters. And we, we need you to uh, be a little generous and grab those greens from your jeans. Dig down deep. Come on and support these people. They're, a, they're great pilgrims on a pilgrimage, and they're leading you to the promised land. They got to eat, too. They got their humble little abode here. Their, their, their little uh, little mansion on the hilltop, but uh, they could use your money, and they could use some help. And so, how about going over to Patreon? It's their way that you can be a blessing to them and be part of this ministry. So why don't you go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal and uh, find out what little what little faith promise that you can make for Conspiranormal. These guys, you know, operating a, a Learjet for their ministry takes money. It takes that jet fuel and for their, their worldwide global ministry. You know, the big global crystal globe out front, it costs money. Put that out there. And just do a favor for old Dr. Future here. their victims huddle together cannot share in the wealth they create for their master. Then here's the verses. Yeah. Some remove their landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They turn the needy out of the way. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold, as wild asses in the desert, they go, go they forth to their work. Rising betimes for a prey, the wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. They cause the naked to lodge without clothing, that they have no covering in the cold. 
They pluck the fatherless from the breast and take a pledge of the poor. They cause him to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheaf from the hungry, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. Hey, are are of those they are are they are of those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. And that's from Job twenty four mm-hmm. verses two to five and seven, nine to eleven, thirteen yeah. to fourteen. Right. That's King James Version. Right. I'm gonna go on a little bit here. Yeah, but now so, uh, that was not the passage I thought because he actually talks about what he did, what he thought was made him right with God, it wouldn't make a hill of beans to the average religious right person, but he knew God well enough to know what God really valued. See, the psalmist believes at least God will not forgive the lowly anawim, which is the word for the poor. Right. They're called like the the forgotten ones. Basically, anybody who's not a big shot in this world, um, who's always taken advantage of it, gets short in the stick, that's the Bible uses the term the anawim, the humble Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble, Psalms ten twelve. But the meek, Anawim, shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace, Psalm thirty seven eleven, which is later reiterated by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit right. the earth. That's right. God will come again, not to save the money barons, generals, and kings, but rather those they and even some Christians have exploited. When God rose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Psalms 76, 9, the Lord lifted up the meek. He casts the wicked down to the ground, Psalms 147 to 6. Right. Now, that's what he's doing in the future. You know, the exploiters are having their heyday. You know, you know when you describe that section of Job, I kept thinking of the Trump organization. Not just to pick on them. I mean, they got lots of company. But I was right. just picturing, if you ever read... Um, uh, Woody Guthrie, the famous folk musician, he actually stayed in one of the flophouse uh, tenements that tr- Trump's dad owned, and he wrote songs about how horrible it was and what basically their slumlords, you know, is, is what they were. But um, what God consistently says in the Old Testament and then Jesus says is that the people who are stepped on and who are the the simple folk, you know, like I call myself a commoner, you know, that's what the British people would understand. Somebody's not the nobility. Commoner, peasant. Those are the inheritors, the VIPs of the eternal kingdom. They're the ones that are going to be calling the shots. Now, if you were just a practical, pragmatic person that really believed God in that, it would just make pragmatic sense to kiss up to those people because for eternity they're running stuff. If I knew somebody was like going to run a big organization or whatever, and I was a person in the place, I would do everything I could to get in their good graces because they're running the whole show. So a wise thing to do would be would, would be to do that. You know, even in like real time, there were a few people when King David was on the run, when like Saul was trying to kill him and he was, he was anointed king, but he was like a, a you know, fugitive. There were a few lowly people who helped him. At just at a critical time with food when he needed it, this or that. When he became king, they really benefited. I mean, they got to sit at the king's table and they got all this other kind of stuff. And, and we're sort of talking about something like that on a cosmic level. If, you know, I'll just use a case in point. Like I remember a, a kid when I was growing up that had cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. 
and he it was so sad. I mean, he was he, he was totally contorted. He could not communicate. He couldn't really make enough sounds that you, it was like a prisoner in his body. Yeah. And and when you're a little kid, that sort of freaks you out when you see somebody like that, and you don't you know you don't want to be around it. But finally, after a while, I started understanding. You know, when I'd read the Bible about those are the people that are going to be the ones running the the full time kingdom. Wouldn't it just be smart of me? try to be nice to him now, you know? And even as a kid, I realized, well, that made sense, you know? But but now we don't care anything about the people who are going to be running the show. I'm talking about the the showy people of faith. I'm not talking about people in this room. I just, you know, this is sort of what's going on in my head, okay? Yeah. Um, but it's really clear that, that these are the people that have a future, not not the CEOs. They don't have any future. You know the, the the people who are the big money guys right now they got a real short lived and you know they don't even enjoy this life now you know I think I've talked about stories here about where this guy was brought to one of the retreats in the Caribbean where they had these hedge fund managers representing all these billionaires and they were terrified because they knew the people were coming after them and all they wanted to know was find out where is a place we can go to retreat that we can and how do we keep our our own police forces from not turning against us. If we have enough money in our billions to get a police force to fight off the masses, how do we keep them from not throwing us out of our own place? They were miserable. They don't even enjoy their wealth that they have. But yet somehow we have this thing where we sort of look up to them. Oh, yeah. I think I read something like that on the show yep. one time about yeah. where they were they were talking about how in a kind of like end of the world scenario, how to make how some foolproof systems to right. control their Give own them mercenaries collars or yeah. something, you know, uh-huh. like that, like just something crazy yeah. that people were actually discussing. Yeah. And that's, that's the fruit that they get. That's their big reward for having screwed everybody to get to the top and to, you know, have no regard to anything about their own person, you know, personal interest. And and then their big payoff is they're paranoid about somebody taking their stuff. And you know, it's so funny because that is explicitly said in the Bible. You read in the Old Testament, it talks about the rich people. They're, all they worry about is who's taking their stuff and how their kids are going to blow it all. So this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah. This has gone on ever since you've had wealthy people is they know their kids, you know, these people were self-made, even though they stepped on people to be self-made. And then their kids just are told deadbeats. And it was that way thousands of years ago. Well, here's here's a dirty word for you. Oh, progressive. Oh my goodness. You just des- you, you describe God as progressive. <laughs> right. When <laughs> when when what I've heard um, This is not going to be sold at Lifeway, I don't think. You should have gave a uh, a warning there. Well, it's not, I know, it's not a disclaimer at all. It might well, be some heart attacks. What I've heard in conservative world. <laughs> Put an explicit up, rating on the on is, the podcast. Is the word conservative is a synonym for devil worshipper. Okay. Yeah. Maybe even worse than devil worshiper. Although nobody ever really bothers to describe it. Okay. Basically, the euphemisms that you hear hinted at in conservative world is progressive. They assume somebody that probably has a darker skin color and probably has dreadlocks. Um, <laughs> they probably wear a poncho. Maybe haven't had a bath today. You know, they probably live like here in this town. It'd be East Nashville or something like that. <laughs> okay. 
Now, I'm not saying that's accurate portrayal. I'm just saying that's the little fantasy of what, what they were having to they might get, really define They might get it. triggered a lot. Yeah. They get triggered. Oh, they're snowflakes. Yeah. Uh, because nobody values people who are sensitive. That's why they don't, evaluate, they don't value gentlemen. They want warriors that kick ass. They don't want gentlemen or people that are sensitive. And they consider a weakness of liberals and progressives and why they call them snowflakes is that basically they they care about the feelings of other people and they don't want to run roughshod over people who maybe have had a different experience than they had. And they consider that weakness in the conservative world to even care about those kind of people. Uh, well, the reason why I said the word progressive, because they never bothered to define it because when they define it, when you do that, then you can't, demonize everybody you have to draw a fence around it and really understand what it means and what it doesn't mean but that the irony is is that if you really are a serious bible student and you read it from Carter and think about it the document is a progressive document unless unless you are an old school ultra orthodox jew and even they are progressives because they don't really believe in the torah as is they are talmudist mm-hmm. which was a progressive development over the original Talmud. So even they would be hypocrites. But the whole concept of the new covenant of what Christianity is all about is a progressive concept from the Old Testament. You have an old, you know, a testament means like like a will and testament, like, okay, here's, it's like a covenant and here's what was imparted because of it. You have an old and a new. A new implies you progress from the old. And it is considered progress, okay? It's like even like the ultimate Jew, Peter, said when they were debating the apostles about whether Gentiles had to obey the law. He said, he says, why should we put a burden on them that even we couldn't hold up under? Well, that's the whole concept is a progressive concept. Like, And in fact, the, the irony, that was the first big decision the church had to make after Jesus was gone, and they couldn't ask him. Okay, so the apostles are there. Uh, with the other leaders in Jerusalem, having to decide, what do you do about Gentiles now? We thought this was a Jewish movement. And now we see the Holy Spirit coming on them. They're speaking on their own tongues. They're doing stuff that God's done something with them. So what do we make them do now? And so they debated it. And so, and there's still many, many Christians today, many of them that I rub shoulders with, that still believe we're supposed to be obeying that law. Even though both Jesus and the people who came after him said, no. The, 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 the law brings death, the spirit brings life. You, it's an either-or. You either go by the old law or you go by the spirit. And what they said was, when they wrote a letter to the Gentiles to, to say, this is our official decision, what they said was, it seems good to us and it seems good to the Holy Spirit. Uh, they didn't even quote scripture. And that blows my mind to someone who was a sola scriptura person that, you know, thought, well, you you got to have this long list of verses to do. And, and even this document you have, it shows that that's what I do. But, yeah. but what they said was, the Holy Spirit's here, and Jesus taught us things. This is not something that, that, that even came up evidently when they were talking with Jesus, because he told them first, he says, first go to your own countrymen first. And so they had to decide and so when they decided, they said, the people were worrying you about obeying the law, and we want to dispel that. And, and all they told them was like a couple simple things like, you know, don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, don't fornicate, and do these other things. And the reason why was, 
the, the th- three things they listed were things that they did in pagan worship. And they were not pagans anymore. They were Christians. And so basically what they've said to them is, show everybody you're not a pagan anymore. You, you do the things that distinguish who you are, but you don't have to obey the Mosaic law. It was not for you. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. That whole interaction was a progressive interaction. And in the verses that in that document that you read, I showed that the prophet said, something new is coming. Something new is coming and new is going to give it. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, he told the Jews, he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant and I'm going to give you a new covenant and I'm going to write it on your hearts. And if you ask most Jews today and said, well, what is that new covenant? What, what is the new one you have established? I don't think they have any answer for that. And, and many Christians are confused about it too. So it was foretold, Jesus, when he did, you know, we're familiar with the Lord's Supper or Eucharist or communion or whatever, he says, this is the blood of a new covenant. The whole fact that it's new is progressive. And, and as far as like history, one example I spent a lot of time writing in one of my books about was the big moral issue of our nation and its history, and that was slavery. Mm-hmm. And while we were like one of the very last industrial nations, it's supposedly this wonderful godly you know, light shining on a hill. We were one of the last industrial nations to have slaves. And the irony is that, like, I come from a Southern Baptist background, very conservative. And I, and I quote from a, an article that the head of the South Carolina Southern Baptist writes to the governor of South Carolina, I think it was in the 1840s, writes about um, slavery and what the Bible says about slavery. And... It sounds like a classic Baptist document like I grew up reading my whole life, Uh, well-argued from Scripture. And basically what they argue, evidently the governor had asked them, tell them what the Bible says about slavery. Now, either the governor was really wanting the answer on what God thought about it, or he wanted cover, religious cover, and I don't know which one. But regardless, he got it because this head of the Southern Baptist Convention writes about how the Bible clearly shows that slavery is okay, that Jews had slaves in the Old Testament as long as they weren't their own countrymen, that there was no command for Christians to get rid of their slaves. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing about that that they had to do, so obviously it wasn't a big deal to God. And um, then he argued some practical things like, well, you know, those Africans are just in civil wars all the time, and if you didn't pick up these ones that lost— that their that their enemies sold to you, then it would have been vice versa. It's yeah, not like one yeah. of them's better than the other. And they also said, "Well, look, so that br- justifies it for right. you, right? When you bring them over here, when you bring them over here too, you 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 let them sit and you, they hear the gospel and they, they wouldn't hear that otherwise unless you had them shackled to the you yeah. know bench. Yeah. And Makes so sense, right? he gave some practical advice, and it it all sounded really well and good and consistent with the Bible. And then here shows up these liberal Christians, and these liberal Christians are saying. But you know, that violates my conscience. I mean, you could say that all day and read all that, but my conscience knows that that is wrong. And they were labeled liberals and, you know, just selling out God. You know, uh, most famous preacher in our history, you know, arguably from Billy Graham, was Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Oh, what a great, wonderful moral example. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's, that's his great inspirational talk where people could feel the flames of fire when he preached. Well, this, this good, wonderful, I was he Presbyterian, I mean, Calvinist. Anyway, 
um, he was this great example of piety, and he had all sorts of slaves. He didn't see any kind of problem with having slaves. You know, the people they hated, like, uh, um, who, who was the one they drove into the wilderness that founded Rhode, Rhode Island? Roger Williams. Roger Williams. You know, he was the one they thought was a heretic. They sent out, and the Puritans sent to freeze because he believed in believers' baptism, that it should be people who consciously want to follow Jesus, that recognize it. And the Indians, who were his friends, saved his life, you know. So, so these guys are doing this, but then these, quote, liberal Christians are coming up and saying, my conscience says this is wrong. I can't sleep on this and see these people suffering like this. And so for someone like me who's been raised in a very, I won't say exactly fundamentalist, but very conservative, soulless scripture environment, that caused me a turmoil when I was writing this. Because these people argued straight from the Bible this and this. Mm-hmm. And then I suddenly realized, well, if I read the whole Bible, it says that the conscience is another testimony of God. The written word is a reliable, good, if when properly used, testimony of God. But the conscience, it says, also bears witness to, to God's uh, revelation. And also it's even a test. It's a test of your understanding of God's revelation. And, and I don't, it's, this is no surprise to anybody that people know that People have used the Bible and other holy books all the time to, to justify the most ridiculous and absurd things that violates our common sense and our conscience. And so these people recognize there was another testimony there. Well, what they were basically saying is, we need to, we need to grow out of this. We, this. This is unacceptable. You know, we've grown long enough to recognize that this may have been tolerated in the past, but it's not. That is a progressive way to think. And just to give you a case in point in the Bible where even the Apostle Paul gave that, when he was talking to the Athenians there on Mars Hill, uh, who were like real brainiacs and, you know, real smart philosophers, and he's talking to them, and he's kind to them, and he's telling them, yeah, you know, y'all are very pious people, and you have a lot of religious, and he, he, he even quoted their philosophers and things like that. And he says, you know, in the old days, people worshiped all these statues you have around here. And he says, in those times past, God winked at it, but now he's calling all of us to repent. That message is a progressive message. He says in the past, he was very tolerant of this stuff, but now it's time for all of us to grow the heck up. And I don't see any reason why that process has stopped. So um, those are just a few examples I give. There's a lot more in the text in there that when people want to regress back to a hyper-fundamentalism. Usually that fundamentalism is not really like the, old, the New Testament church. They, they don't look anything like the New Testament because the New Testament church was a very loving group. They were very accepting of different people, and that's not what your typical fundamentalists look like. Um, when they want to regret or they jump back behind the facade of tradition, I mean, Jesus said what traditions were like. He says, he says you disobey God's commandments with your traditions. And that still hasn't changed either. So that is not just anti-progressive, it is regressive. And what I'm saying is that people that really love God and want to follow him shouldn't be terrified of the P word. (laughs) And in fact, they need to think about what is a way to be really progressive. Now, I'll tell you what's not progressive uh, is stuff like what came out with Aldous Huxley and, you know, eugenics. And these other kind of things, that's 
changing. I mean, that's evolutionary, but it's not progressive because it does not progress good things like the dignity of the human being or looking out for the weakest people. Mm-hmm. They actually hate the weakest people. They think that they're a blight on society. They're going to replace them with robots. That is, well, yeah. But that is not, that is not progress. That is not a different progressive. So people who love God need to show up at the table to discuss what is real progress and not just go run behind their little bunker, you know, inside and say, put your fingers in your ears and say, oh, I just wish for the good old days. <laughs> Back to the good old days when we had slaves and we, uh, you know, we tarred and feathered people and, you know, we, we hated Irish Catholics and Chinese people and stuff like that in the good old days, <laughs> you know, and immolated Indians. <laughs> you know? That's that's not for me, Rob. Were you going to ask a question there? Uh, I just, <laughs> while we're on the topic of uh, progressive and you know, yeah. socially, as human beings, we're progressive. We're vastly different than we were two, three, four thousand years ago. Yeah. So, if I were a supreme being, I'm not. I'm not a biblical scholar. I've read the Bible a couple times. You know, I undecided on where my faith lies. All right, but. If I were a supreme being and I were looking down on my creation and it was evolving, I would, you know, I, I don't know how to phrase this. I, I treat puppies differently than I treat old dogs. <laughs> you know, right. there's right. different ground rules for them. Right. They, you know, they change. I change with, I got to change the way I deal with them, the way I interact with them. Right. I don't see how there could be a supreme being above us that's not progressive. Right. The, doesn't change his expectations of us hmm. to grow along with it. It just makes no yeah. sense, you know, in the... Right. right. If you, if you look, I, that's completely consistent with what I read of the Bible because somebody's asked me, what do you think that book is? And I said, you know, really all they are are a series of love letters of a dad to his kids. And the kids have to be over, you know, a bunch of generations. But they're just a collection of love letters. And exactly like you said, some of them were scoundrels like <laughs> Jacob. But I appreciate he did have some virtues. One of the things about Jacob was he really, really valued God's favor. And he would fight for it. And he would go through whatever. And eventually he got to have a rest, literal wrestling match with God. And God let him do it. You know, because he valued it. Uh, there were other people like um, Daniel who were about as close to what I think God's like as anybody I've ever read in the Bible. And it says you were ahead extra favor in heaven because of who you are. And he got all sorts of blessing. In fact, you know, he was willing to go down the lion's den and stuff because he, he wouldn't really compromise on what he thought was right. But he never meant harm to the, quote, the, quote, enemy. He never said do anything. He prayed for the pagan guys. Even the, even the guy who threw him in the lion's den to be killed, and then he realized he'd made a terrible error, and I was like, I was drunk, and you know, he went down there and said, Daniel, did your God protect you? And the first thing Daniel yelled up out of the hole was, oh, king, live forever, because that's who Daniel was. That was his kind of thing. You had other guys who were sort of bloodthirsty. They were hotheads, and, and God dealt with every single one of them in a different way because he's a dad. And you're exactly right. And that's why, that's a problem fundamentalists have, 
is when they go back and they look for a proof text in a verse and they don't think about who is he talking to, what were the circumstances in which it was said, where is that person going in life, you know. Uh, That's where they get all sorts of crazy ideas. And as far as progressiveness, the clincher is at the very, very end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth and everything, like the last real thing we hear God say is, Behold, I make all things new. Now, if that's not a progressive idea, I don't know what is. I mean, but, but God hits the big reset button. And and the fact is, we have no idea what that's going to be like. We don't know if we're going to be like a Justice League flying around if he's going to be like, you know, new stuff, he's going to start creating new stuff somewhere. He's going to let us run it. I think that's part of it. He's, he's trying to get us to grow up to sort of act like his son so we can figure out how to run things good like he does in a loving way. So we don't know about what all that's going to be. But the thing that he is consistent about when God says he never changes, it's not that he doesn't change in, in terms of letting mankind grow up to be able to be smarter and do more things. But what doesn't change is his character. What doesn't change is that he's always faithful. He really loves people. Um, he's merciful. These are the kind of things that he says, at least that you can rely on. So that way, when he creates a new heavens and a new earth, and we're stepping into the void, we're stepping into a twilight zone that we don't know what the heck's on the other side, all we know is the character of the person who created it. Therefore, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Because we know, generally, he values good things. Yeah. He values love. He values all these. That it's actually exciting when you're thinking, if somebody like that, in a non-cursed world, a world that's been freed from the curse, how awesome does it have to be? You know, if it's somebody that we know that's that faithful in those kind of things, then it's got to be something really, really cool. So that's the part that doesn't change. The circumstances around us changes. Um in fact, he says we're supposed to evolve to the point spiritually where it says one day we're going to judge angels, which is pretty heavy duty. I mean, these super spirit, supernatural beings, we're going to be the ones. By judging, it means actually we're going to be directing them. They're going to be taking orders from us. Now, that sort of scares me because I can't even run my own life. I mean, I can't figure out like <laughs> at the store right, what to buy. I'm, I'm yeah. Not, I don't need that. Yeah. And then so all these like supernatural beings are going to be wait to get orders from me. We're know? also supposed to have a big party where we eat Leviathan and Behemoth. And... Well, I, I think that's out of the Talmud. Okay. That's not the same book I'm talking about. Yeah, And don't forget Aziz. <laughs> Because I realized there had to be one for the sky, so there's a big bird flying around, and they're going to eat that too. So. <laughs> have a big, barbe- big barbecue, right? Right. I mean, and that's that's a big deal to them. Hey. That's not the big deal for me, but so this conservative gospel, you go into a little bit about this, and I'm assuming that this is also going to be a, one of the forthcoming volumes. Well, you know, that's uh, what I've written right here. now. I think what I've written right now in a regular double space thing that would be a normal book size, it's about 140 pages so far. And that doesn't even count the preamble that I've already posted. So, yeah, it'd probably be his own book. And that really ought to get everybody else to hate me that, you know, most likely <laughs> they'll yawn and it'll just set unbought. But if people accidentally get it, or what I really love is for your listeners to get it for some of their friends that are religious and just give it to them and then let them blow their stack and then have a conversation about it. There we go. Yeah. 
And then you can say, well, which of the words of Jesus really make you most mad? Well, which ones do you protest the most? You go into a little bit about how we got here, and it was a uh, reaction during the Cold War. And, well, there's, 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 um, there's a couple stages on different parts of the conservative gospel. The, uh, you know, I think I list in that document that just off the top of my head, I, there, there's, there's several different categories of what make up the whole collective movement. They don't always have the same priorities, but they sort of look out each other's backs. You've got the hyper-government traditionalist. You know, they would have been called royalists in the past or Tories or whatever. They believe in the divine right of kings. They believe in an authoritarian figure that God puts in place. You don't ask questions about them. And tradition is very, very important to them. And I would say even people who believe in, like, the imperial presidency, like, is evolved in our office now where basically they have unlimited pardon potential and they can't be indicted in office no matter what crimes they do. It's the same thinking. It thinks that's okay. So there's that part, and then there's the religious traditionalist who believe in basically a strong, autocratic, ecclesiastical hierarchy, and you don't ask questions, you don't, you know, you take orders, you don't ask questions about that, you sort of get into to all that part. And they believe in traditional strong, don't, don't get any new, new innovations for that. And then you have the militaristic side who are so into all things military and that those are the only people that are worthy respect is if you've killed somebody with your bare hands or something like that. Then, then, you know, then you've earned your right to manhood. Um, They believe basically that there should be no restrictions on what the military does. They really believe in a foreign policy where might makes right, you know. Um, And then you have the fourth arm, which are the economic... um, laissez-faire, hyper-libertarianist economically that believe that there should be no restrict capitalism's answer to everything, and, you know, the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules, that kind of thing. So you got those different, and they all have their own agenda, but they often overlap, like henchmen. And so uh, probably the earliest one that there was a co-opt of people of faith in America, particularly in the 20th century, um, and this was hard to do before we had mass media. I mean, it was really, really hard because not many people read that much. And so they'd hear what their local preacher said, but they, there just wasn't that much reading. It was like herding cats, trying to get too many people around something. But the 20th century presented a capability for mysterious people to suddenly control the masses. And the first big enemy they saw was the New Deal. And what happened was, you know, we had the hubris of the Roaring Twenties, total laissez-faire libertarian approach to government, and stock market's going to lead us all to being multimillionaires. And then the shell game finally came to an end. You know, you, you were basically using money that wasn't there. Good old Herbert Hoover, you know, led us into that. Then you had at least a third of the people, I think, out of work, and it was just just a dire situation. And um, so FDR comes along with a new deal to at least put people to work. So at least they had some self-respect. Because when you have enough people unemployed, whether it's U.S. or Iraq or wherever, you're going to have crime. You know, and you, th- you think about 
organized crime had already been established because of prohibition and everything like that. So you had all of that people hungry to do stuff. And so he starts actually giving people some dignity back, doing useful work, building dams, building our highways, and, you know, stuff. And big business had been discredited because they had been seen as the ones that led them into the hubris that led to the, you know, was it Black Tuesday and the crap, black money and the crash and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they had to rebuild their reputation. And the National Association of Manufacturers, which had all of your big industrialists there, were struggling to try to rebuild their reputation after the the public had thought they had led them into ruin. And so they struggled until a guy showed up, I think it was like 1936, by the name of James Fifield. James Fifield was a... he was interesting. He, he was a Presbyterian, so he was a Calvinist, non-amillennialist, but he was actually liberal theologically, but super conservative economically. He shows up at this meeting. He, he, was a, he, he went to this church in Los Angeles and took it over, and he used worldly government techniques way ahead of their time. They like do them now in mega churches all the time, but he used these techniques that you learn in corporate industry to build a business, and he did it for the church. He got all the wealthy people in L.A. to come to his church, and suddenly they just got tons of money. All the big oil people in L.A. are going to his church. He built this big massive facility. He lives in a mansion. He suddenly realized that he, he was he was like royalty. He had to entertain the wealthiest people in America, so he had this palace he lived in. And so he went to one of the meetings of the National Association of Manufacturers. And the, the other thing that was going on in the church that really disturbed people like him was the social gospel, which now is like, again, another word for devil worshiping in the conservative church environment. <laughs> because they did the horrific things like care about the, down, the downtrodden, actually worry about people in the slums that were victims of the Industrial Revolution, the people that were suffering, and they actually cared enough to want to do something about it. Um, make sure their kids got schooling and, you know, those kind of things and food. And so this terrified this group. And he shows up one day and gives a talk and basically says, you know, this new deal, all it is, basically he said what we hear today. It's a deep state operation for statism to take over. And all FDR ever wanted to do was the state to run everything in our lives. You know, these are people who would have starved to death if they didn't have this. The deep state. But the, the, the deep state's running everything, and he says, I know how, how we can do it He's, because nobody's accepting what you all are, are doing. So he, he said, was the original Q, is what you're saying, right? He was original Q and on, yes. Yeah. Except he identified himself. <laughs> he did not identify who was bankrolling him, though. But he well. said, what we need to do is take National Association of Manufacturers. He says, I'm going to target the clergy, and I'm going to tell the clergy that the New Deal is like some Antichrist movement for a pagan government to take over and that our businessmen are our real saviors in society and they're what God intended. And he basically argued that all this stuff about the thousands of verses that, I, that you read that I document in the Bible about taking care of the poor and stuff, he, he just cut those out. He says, those aren't relevant because I don't believe you have to follow the whole Bible anyway. What I'll really do is to see stuff that really shows how there were powerful men in the Bible and wealthy men in the Bible, and we can be that too. He was the first prosperity gospel guy. Yeah, I was going to ask, was there an influence of new thought and Christian science on this? Yeah, well, at least new thought. 
Yeah. New Thought will definitely be part of it. And so, in fact, Norman Vincent Peale became part of this movement uh, okay. later. Yeah. But uh, That's Donald Trump's church. So he started this. That's right. Yes. Oh, yeah. So he, he started this thing. Uh, it's like a newsletter uh, called, I think it's called Faith and Freedom. And it was to convince the clergy, which that was the portal. That was like the rudder of the ships of the church and their congregation to teach them that big business was what God's hand was really on to be the savior of society and and that these people cared for the downtrodden were just a a Trojan horse to get a pagan gospel in. And so he got to the point, and, and the people who bankrolled him was, uh, I think Lyman Stewart was the guy's name. He was the head of Union Oil, or Unic, now it's Unical, I think. Um, and then um, Pew, who the Pew Charitable Trust and the Pew uh, Polling and stuff. That guy was the founder of Sunoco, or Sun Oil. Hardcore. Now, this guy was a lot more strict theologically than, than this Fifield pastor was. And he, he, he wanted them to be a lot more hardcore. Star, strong amillennialists believe they're going to bring kingdom of God on earth. And they were going to get wealthy doing it, too. So they'd bring the kingdom of heaven, and they'd make their bucks. They'd get finder's fees, I guess, for it. So anyway, they started this newsletter to convince. It's basically it's a psyop, a psyop to convince. And the church was going more towards social gospel. And what they erroneously basically lied and said, well, if you do that social gospel, you can't preach the real gospel. Why don't you care about the kingdom to come? And that's what has always been argued by tyrants, in the churches that have supported tyrants on why they don't help the peasants and the other people, well, just focus on the world to come. Now, I believe in the world to come, and I believe it should be taught. But the way Jesus handled it, when he taught about the kingdom to come, and he was teaching about it on the hillside, and the disciples said, mm, these people are sort of hungry. Should we just sort of send them away to go eat? I mean, that's a good libertarian way to look at it. Should we go send them away? And Jesus said, uh, I got an idea. Feed them. And, you know, they're thinking, well, you're here to teach about the kingdom of heaven to come. Why are we, why are we doing the social gospel? But they were always intertwined. God was feeding 5,000 and teaching about the kingdom of come. And that's why they took him seriously is because he cared about them. They were starving right now. Or when people were sick and they came up, you know, he didn't say only the wealthy deserved health care. He went and found the poor and the lepers and took care of them. And those those people are obviously the the wealthy were obviously concerned with this kingdom. So then, how can you deflect that and say you right, know, like right, exactly? And so anyway, this newsletter started. Well, eventually, he had somewhere like sixty, eighty thousand clergymen getting this and and writing back that they were preaching sermons in their churches based upon the message they were given. They had, a, they had a contest where you would win thousands of dollars if you would preach a sermon in your church and submit it that taught about how totally unregulated markets and free business was what God's intention was all along. And that's, that's where real spiritual freedom would come. And so it tripled amongst that. 15% of all clergymen in America actually submitted a sermon that they had preached. 15%. It submitted it to get the money on this thing. Now, if you have 15% of clergymen buying your argument, you own it. You own that segment. 
because I can tell you Rush Limbaugh reaches out to less than 15% of the public, and he owns a critical mass of it. So these guys forever bought the bulk of our pulpits, and it continued on. And these, uh, these wealthy industrialists kept giving them more money. They started uh, doing movies and doing other kind of things trying to sell these arguments. Later, um, the other big enemy became the fact that they just knew the Russians were going to take us over. You know, first of all, the first thing that they were scared of was the people, particularly the poor people. They were the enemy. And like I said before, the right is always afraid that the poor are going to take all their stuff. And so, and, and the industrialists are with them in that. And so, that was the first concern, was that and their own government. Then came the communists. And so, they had convinced themselves through the fear mongers that communism was getting ready to take. In fact, what they argued was they were afraid that the average common Americans were going to prefer communism. And because they were going to prefer it, they had to do something to make it look bad. Now, we know that's a hyper-paranoid belief, but it's sort of ironic that they were afraid that communism would look good compared to what was going on in America at the time. And so what they said was, we are going to exploit the fact that it's atheist, which, which to me is, is the great, um, that, that is the big Achilles heel in the whole Bolshevik Marxist thing is, is atheism. Because it doesn't give people the tool or the accountability on when to be virtuous to their fellow man when nobody's looking. Um, and so they lose the ability to do that. That's what I was just going to bring up is that I feel like uh, as far as libertarian goes, you know, po- politics should have its, its, its domain, you know, uh, dealing with whatever foreign policy, um, just governing of, of – uh, right. Less uh, less micromanagement type of stuff, you know, and and religion has has its role in teaching us how to take care of, of everything else, you know. Yeah. It, it should be about right. um, it should be there to lead us into to taking care of everyone. Like like you were saying earlier, you shouldn't have to. Um, I don't know how put it like Ayn, Ayn Rand kind of. Mm-hmm. This is what it reminds me of like yeah. you shouldn't have to 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 take care of anyone you don't want to, but you should want to instead, right? Oh, and I think that, that that's what religion's role should be is the teaching you to want to instead of right. government teaching, you know, telling you that you have to or whatever. Right. But instead, somehow they've just like joined forces <laughs> and have led us down this like. Well, well, first of all, let me say um, I have learned a lot and benefited a lot from libertarianism in terms of learning the right of free association. People should be right and associate whoever they want. The right of self-determination. I have no right to dictate to somebody how they ought to live their life and do things. Right, I totally and as agree. And as somebody yeah, who yeah. comes from a traditional Christian background, I had to work through that. I had to work through on why that was good because that's mm-hmm. not what I heard around me. But I realized that that's good and valid and consistent with my faith. But having said that, um, the ideal circumstance would be people who say they follow a God whose eyes are always on the poor and whose main concern is the poor, you would think that their main concern would be making sure the poor in their neighborhoods and in their country were taken care of. Sadly, that doesn't seem to be the case. If, as, as I cited earlier, recent reports show a plummeting of money that religious people are giving to the religious institutions, which should be for taking care of people. In fact, my pastor mentioned once, he said, if, if every person who said they were a Christian and was a churchgoer, okay, that's a smaller subset, regular churchgoer, if they gave their 10% 
like they did in the Old Testament. They gave their 10%. They said it would pay for every single person in America to have health care, actually worldwide, to have health care and to have food. Hmm. If they gave 10%. You know, and why do we have to be so greedy we can't make it with the 90%? And that would be just 10%, but they won't do that. You know, it's closer to 2%, if that, on average. And so what happens is they don't want the government to step in while people are suffering, but yet they won't do it themselves. Well, they right. use that as an excuse. They say, well, the tax burdens are so high, and if, if the tax burdens wouldn't, tooth it, yeah, wouldn't be as much, then, then we would really be able to solve all these problems privately. You know, it's- and wouldn't it be interested if they actually put their money where their mouth is and address the problems? The government would go in and say, well, gee, nobody has submitted yeah, right? for benefits. Everybody, the church has already taken care of everybody. No one has filed right, for welfare right. benefits. But I don't see that happening. And so they want their cake and eat it too. And so... Well, it's convenient. I think they want to keep right. that narrative going. A, a libertarian idealist has every right to believe the better way to do it is for people to really believe the right thing to do is to take care of people where you don't have coercion to do it. Yeah. Okay? The problem is the Ayn Rand extreme libertarians is not the place to look for that kind of virtue. Right. Because it is totally devoid of virtue. Well, it is hyper selfishness. It is basically Satanism. And we're talking about idealism and economic idealism, and it's just as much unrealistic idealism as uh, right. uh, Orthodox Marxist. Right, I mean. right. You know, in, in, in some ways, all of those things were well meaning in a sense. Yeah. But. The question is getting the job done. And so I've wrestled with all this because I'm more like you on a libertarian thing is that people shouldn't be coerced to do it. But you know what? Government government is only coercion. That's yeah. the only reason it exists is to coerce. Right. And that's why it should be kept to a bare minimum. Like a collective to protect against outside invaders, that's a reasonable thing. Sure. And yeah. I think to have courts, so when somebody, your neighbor takes stuff of yours, it, it has the power of coercion to stop them. You know, even if they have to jail them or whatever. A way to represent the masses for progress, for, you know. But, but yeah, for example, in the military, I mean, it's something we have to have. I find they spend a whole lot more money on stuff than what I personally accept. Oh, yeah. And since I worked in that industry and I saw the absurd waste mm-hmm. and the people were getting rich off that system – Far dwarfed. In fact, I put real data in the document that Adam read. Yep. The military absolutely dwarfs the amount that we give in assistance to people. Oh, uh, and these are people that are making yeah. way above six yeah. figures on the dole. Mm-hmm. Well, but our military spending dwarfs most of the rest of the world. The, world. the, next, four, the next four. Yeah. Actually, seven nations. Seven, seven nations? Seven nations. It, it actually exceeds that. But the, 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 <laughs> the, the thing is... I have an input in who I vote for to try to see whether the budget should go up and down. But regardless, I still have to pay it because a plurality of Americans, for whatever reason, support the people who are doing what they're doing now on the amount they allocate. So if I can do that for the military to kill people, then I could probably live with the fact, since my own people won't step up and take care of the people who are in need, I can probably live with the fact that I'm going to be one voice of many in America that decides how much we're going to allocate to take care of people. But that's a disconnect. I mean, you have people saying they're so you know libertarian as far as mm-hmm. redistribution of wealth to help people, but they are totally militaristic and totally fine with that much money being taken from us to right. 
for those aims. Exactly. They don't. They it's look a the crazy other way. Disconnect. Yeah, they don't. They don't see any inconsistency there. Just to give you some sanity points, because I was raised in the, in the conservative gospel clearly, and listening at the church of Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Fox News. Okay, regular attendee. And I learned... Is it like the Holy Trinity? Yes. <laughs> Fox News, I, I Hannity, cross and myself. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I learned from them that, first of all, enormous number of my fellow citizens are all on public existence, except for hardworking people like me, yeah. and that they all are getting much larger checks than I've ever seen, and they all use it on drugs, and they just have as many kids as they can possibly have. This is this is not just a few people. This is the majority of them do this. Welfare queen. Uh-huh. And this is all Rolls Royce. This is what they all do yeah. and I'm the poor sucker that's working and paying for all of it. So, for once in my life, after 50 something years on this earth, I actually went to go try to dig up some data on what really goes to people who were on assistance. And I'm going off the top of my head, okay, and I don't have a good memory at this age. But from what I remember, what I found in there is that of the people who get assistance, almost overwhelming percentage, except for a couple of percent, are the super elderly and the blind and the heavily disabled. That They get the bulk of it, okay? People can't even see to get down the street. Those, those lucky stiffs. You know, <laughs> I could be them. Okay. And so you've got a few percent that actually are not disabled and don't work that get some assistance. I'm talking about like 2 3% of the people who get assistance are the classic people we talk about, the not working people. Okay. The average payment they get from the data that I came and I went through a whole bunch of official sources was somewhere from like $150 to $300 a month per household to live on. Not much. Now, I don't know how many people can live that luxuriously on $150, $300 a month. Okay? Now, the irony is, if you really want to be hardcore against these people and really clamp down on, on, you know, making sure there's accountability, the real hero in the story of all things is the Democrat Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton put in the strictest uh, guidelines for welfare and any kind of assistance. And basically, because of his guidelines, you can only go on, if I remember right, this kind of public assistance, unless you're working, for only you can only draw it for like three months over a three-year period. And so what's happening is the welfare rolls are dropping dramatically still. They've actually been going progressively downwards because the people fall off because they can only get benefits for a few months. Food stamps are the same way. You get basically like $176, maybe $300. I'm going off the top of my head, but it's order of magnitude. In food for the month for a household. For a household. Yeah. And um, that only lasts for a very short period of time. You get that, and then you're on your own after that. So, so this whole thing about people making a whole life lifestyle, buying all the T-bone steaks and doing not, all this kind of stuff. Not to mention, like we, you know, ten years ago or so, we we had some rough times, and and we were on, you know, we got some government aid. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a, the little bridge card or whatever it is they do in right. Tennessee is the equivalency of, of food stamps, and in, in order to do that, you've got to go down to downtown Nashville, and you've got to stand in line at a a building that's operated by the government, which means it runs on its own time, and you're there for hours and hours. They run you and through hours. a gauntlet. 
it is way harder than just working. Yeah. It's not fun. Right. And I can't imagine the average person that goes through that is not just like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to never have to go back to that building again. Right. Ever. Right. Right. And you know what? You're pro- First of all, I was trained that you're the enemy and that you're the la- lazy SOB that is the problem with America, you yes, know, sitting next to me. I've probably paid more taxes than what we received from those benefits. And, and you, well, that's regardless. You personally made my life a lot harder because of your excess. While I was working, while you were standing there taking it easy in and line. And man, let me tell you, those steaks were delicious. I know. Every I know. was having to blow up airplanes. And, right. You know. and, and, and having the government fly me around the world. And paying me three or four hundred dollars a night in hotel Going rooms to and stuff Soviet like that. Cities and- right, exactly. So basically, what you just described, from the data I read, over fifty percent of Americans have had your experience. So actually, you are in the majority in that. Not not that, like I said, you made a lifestyle of being on welfare and want someone to take care of you, but the fact that people go through a phase where they need short term assistance. Maybe they're going to transition in life. Transition a career, whatever. Um, people lose spouses. Anyone that's been to college and has <laughs> people lose spouses. Crippling loans. I think they said the average <laughs> for those people that have been on assistance is, is six months, something like that. And they said what happens is the data has shown when they get a job, they actually move up the economic chain and quickly get off of it. And then, like you said, they pay back more in taxes than what they ever got at that critical linchpin when they just needed to get the bridge. That completely debunks the line that I have been given for forever. And I can tell you, there's a lot, well, we know there's a lot of brainwashed people out there right now. We see the political scene. But I can tell those people and give them all of this data, and they will put their fingers in their ears, and it breaks the paradigm that they want to hate people who got assistance. The, the, The funny thing is, the majority of those people get assistance anyway. Over half of all households get some kind of government check one way or the other. And it turns out I found out that some of the benefits that people get, like just just the middle class, the middle class gets the majority of government assistance, actual money. Very, very few people get actual money, even like the people who get like cash for welfare, very tiny. But the middle class gets more than the lower 40% of society in direct government paybacks from the government. And no, nobody ever told me that. The, the, even the ultra-rich still get back 50 cents on a dollar. Now, that does not count the um, – when I went and looked up the direct uh, tax abatements that they get, like they're supposed to be in a certain tax rate. When you take the tax abatements for certain actions that they take, um, it dwarfs the amount of money that the poor people get. The amount that they're supposed to pay and they brag about paying, when you look at the ones that they get a direct abatement for some special reason and they get and they just don't have to pay that tax, it even that they're a very small group of people, the total dollar amount dwarfs what goes down to the but masses. There's, there's of people. so much utility in in perpetuating that myth of parasitism coming from right. someone else because right. if we're talking about orthodox capitalism, you know what we're seeing in America right now. Um, is the return of landlordism in a lot of ways, and that mm-hmm. is not capitalism. But you have a lot of you know backwards things yeah. that are actually uh, feudalism. Yeah, that are that are throwbacks to really old pre-capitalistic ways and yeah. very parasitical Give relationships. Example. Give some examples. Okay, so if 
the uh, so who's subsidizing, say, Section Eight vouchers if predatorily so many financial interests are coming in and raising uh, housing in a city? So is is this subsidizing the profits of people who are right. making all this money off of that, or are we really subsidizing these people who can't afford to live in their city anymore? Right. So, I mean, you're talking about parasitical relationships like that. I mean, who's really... Where does the money go to? Yeah. It actually goes to yeah. the entrepreneurs. It doesn't yes. go to the people in the yes. neighborhood. Who is, Their rents go up. Yes. So who is really being subsidized? Right. It's It's the the profits being made by something like mm-hmm. that. And the little sh- it's that's, a little that's an example. So who's really the parasites? But that that narrative has to keep going in order to deflect away from actual parasitism coming right. from right. the wealthy classes. Not to mention the people that actually have to build those apartments. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the it's like the trickle down effect in, in in other BS. You know, it's like well, well, I'll hand it to the rich, and that'll benefit the poor. You know. You pro- you, using that line of argument, you have to think about probably the most direct method that avoids those, uh, when you call them carpet baggers or money changers or whatever, middlemen, is food stamps. Mm-hmm. You know? Here's stuff you go exchange this and get you some food. Well, yeah, you get a job at Walmart. That's one of the first things, and you got well, a family. That's the first things they're going to do is help you get food stamps. Right, right. Because they know they're not paying you enough to feed your kids. Right. And and Walmart is the one who benefits that. Yeah, and then you're going to buy the groceries from Walmart. <laughs> while, they, while they make record profits, and they're like, yeah, hey, I'd let the government pick up. Yeah. So so really, Walmart is getting but if, but if But if a lot of those people don't have someone That's, else to blame, then they're going to start blaming Walmart That's and other good. people, and yeah. so they don't want that to. Sending the money to the corporate. I mean, the, you know, the corporate welfare is huge, too. I mean, that's a well, and I, I quantify some of the numbers in there, yeah. and it totally dwarfs what the people get. But it's a visible, it's a visible thing, and especially I think people who don't live in the cities, and you know, the, a lot of people who don't live in the cities have to work in the cities, and so they see neighborhoods that are kind of like this permanent underclass, and that's something visible that they can point their finger yeah. at, whereas the real money being funneled you know, away from the people is in the big buildings and the Mm -hmm. boardrooms. And that's not, you don't get to see the books. You don't get to run their numbers, but you can see, oh, look at this bomb here doing this and that, you know. So it's it's a visible, something visible you can point your finger at. Or when crime increases in an area because you've moved entire neighborhoods, you've just taken a problem and moved it somewhere else. Right. You know that that's what people see, right? And so, uh, so those uh, people become the enemy, not the people that are really behind the scenes, right? Right. Yep. You know, I learned some of that deep uh, economic and sociology from movies like "Don't Mess with the Zohan," where <laughs> where where you see where you see the uh, the Palestinian neighborhood people being stoked to fight the Jewish neighborhood there, and you find out the reason why is. They want them to destroy each other's property because you got American businessmen that want to come in and take over the whole block. Yeah. And so they're bankrolling provocateurs, mass provocateurs on both sides. And that's basically how big business works. Yep. And they, they can make that perpetuate. Well, that's the wisdom of don't mess with the Zohan. That's right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, Man, there's you... so much more in there I thought we were going to talk about, but uh, you get the gist of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
pretty much. I think I I really appreciate you giving that that history of how this narrative kind of has really how how the big business interests have really exploited Christianity and how that really yeah. started yeah. as far as what we're dealing with directly now. Because a lot of it, I've I've heard a lot of the narrative as being like, oh, it's uh, you know, just we we just started with the Ronald Reagan stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah. to take it back further, it's it's really interesting. Right. Yeah, things started going in a in a positively progressive way with the social gospel, and recognizing that the industrial age had people who were suffering because of it, and they had to put a quick stop to it. And so they co-opted the sacred, and to the sacred's detriment, they allowed themselves to be co-opted. And I say shame on all of us. And so what I'm doing is a step of trying to deprogram myself. And you know the best way to do it is I read what Jesus said, because he's not selling anything. He didn't have anything to sell. He didn't have any kind of hidden agenda. He never got anything out of anything other than like a cross. That was all he got out of it for, for doing it. And so... If I stick with what he says, what it ends up doing is put me at odds with a lot of people around me. But yet I make new friends, like the people on your show, mm-hmm. you know, your listeners. I find new things in common with them that we realize and scratch our heads and say, yeah, that makes sense to us, you know? And so that's the direction I'm going, and the chips are just going to fall where they may. I didn't really get into the the communism phase, but this whole thing we hear, if you watch the Republican convention or any value voter summit, about America was founded as a Christian nation and George Washington praying with his knees in the snow and all this stuff. That was similarly engineered. And it also had uh, Henry Ford and these other guys behind it, but the CIA had a direct role in it. And the original group I was telling you about, it has a name. Okay, it started in the 30s. Its name was Spiritual Mobilization. It's, oh, this is a trivia thing you all might be interested in. Their their newsletter was called Faith and Freedom. I found one of their uh, things, I think it's like 1935 or something, oh, 51 maybe, on archive.org, one of their newsletters, and it confirmed what I had read, that one of their regular contributors, this just went to clergymen who preach sermons, was Gerald Hurd writing. Do you all know who Gerald Hurd is? No. Gerald Hurd was, he was the predecessor of Timothy Leary and a partner with him in promoting LSD. And he was really into far-out New Age religions, and he was the one that got Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, he got him to take an LSD and was was really sort of the, like I said, pre-Timothy Leary of getting everybody to have a drug. He was a hardcore, like a cult, New Age kind of guy, and he taught all of these Christian fundamentalist pastors all the things that uh, that he knew. Um, the guy Fifield, this is something I just learned today. I found an article in 1950, maybe, from the Jewish Telegraph Agency, which is the wire service that is used by Israel and the Jewish community around the world for newswire. And it showed that B'nai Barith in, in the U.S. was condemning this same pastor because he was teaching then, while he was running spiritual mobilization, invited all these churches, Billy Graham got involved in it, that uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin in the Continental Congress, 1787, had, had warned America to stay away from the Jews and that the Jews would be a problem to America. 
and he was preaching this, and they they outed him on it, and they mentioned in the article that the originator of that story was Joseph Goebbels, and that's where he got this information. So, not be surprised why everything's so screwed up these days, but but later. When at the end of the Truman administration, and they decided they had to bring in the religion to fight communism, ironically, across the ocean in Russia, anytime they think something really, really bad and it's going to take the full measure of somebody's life to give every measure of their life, they have to bring religion in to do it. So anytime the state comes in and starts stalking religion, look out. Because what happened was when Germany invaded Russia in Operation Barbarossa, it looked like they were unstoppable. They were just running right through. And, and Stalin was smart enough that although he had killed a lot of his countrymen and they were all at odds with each other, he was going to require a devotion from them that mere communism or love of him could not muster. I mean, it was going to take everything for them to stop the Germans. And he knew that only religion could do it. And, and, and almost a proto-nationalism. And so what he did was he made a deal with the... Uh, Russian Orthodox Church, who had been in exile, he brought them in secret meetings, which are later declassified and proven, where he offered them all of their churches back and lucrative salaries if they would go back in their churches and say that God had inspired them and showed them in the Bible that Stalin was sent by God to rescue Russia and that God's hand was on him. Wow. And they agreed to it. They made the Faustian bargain. They went back and said that, and they got all the churches back, got their, got their money, they got their you know, posh lifestyles back. And from that point forward, later, when um, um, Yeltsin was in power, there was this little tiny window, you know, even as drunk as he was, um, he wasn't as diabolical as the other guys. And they had a window where the Duma could open the record to see what was going on. And they had a committee in the Duma, in their parliament, to find out the records in the KGB and who all had been working against them in their public. And the guy who headed the commission was an Orthodox priest who was sort of on the out because he was a free spirit and cared about the poor people. And when they went through the records, they found out that the entire infrastructure of the Russian Orthodox Church were not cooperative with the KGB. They were not assets of the KGB. They were high-ranking officers of the KGB. They were going to all the high officer meetings and planning and scheming with them. And in fact, in my book, I, I write that the highest level officers in America that ever converted over to Russia as spies were led by Russian Orthodox priests. So and now they're going to save Western civilization. That's right. And so while... Stalin did that. Truman and Eisenhower did the identical thing in America. He was afraid of the Russians. And so they said, we need to get a program where we tie America and religion together. And so they brought in the U.S. Information Agency, which was a wartime propaganda arm. They were went to try to dissuade the enemy and tell them lies to give them to give up. They brought them in. The CIA, Frank Wisner, you know his name. He was a lot of the dirty tricks of CIA. He oversaw the program. They brought uh, theologians in uh, to help with it. And they developed a program to sell America as having a divine destiny by God. This was not invented by David Barton. And he also can't go back and show the founding fathers said this. This was invented in a boardroom in 1947. 
this whole argument. They went back and basically rewrote history books to make it look like we were founded. When Eisenhower was inaugurated, he came up with what he called the God Float at his inauguration. And it had pictures of houses of worship all around it, including mosque, by the way. They just opened a mosque in Washington, D.C., and a big Ten Commandments on the top of it. And they said, this is America's history. It was all written and engineered right at that time. They, they put TV programs together. Ronald Reagan hosted it, Bing Crosby. Um, they did the same technique of actually having sermon contests where you could say that America was God's hand and divine destiny and, and God had created America, where, where pastors could win cash prizes. Since it worked before for spiritual mobilization, the same guys did it for that too. The media knew the CIA was doing it, but they wouldn't tell the public. They, they were in on it. And, and so what they did was they did something called the Campaign for Freedom. They made a version of the Liberty Bell. They put it on a train, took it around America to show, and they had pledges. They came up with new pledges. And like in the Sugar Bowl, I think there was like 75,000 people that made this pledge at once that God was running America and things like this. These were just written by the CIA and these boardrooms for them to quote these things. And of course, it was meant to unite America and the purity of America. Of course, when the train went through the South, blacks and whites were not allowed on the train at the same time, you know, but it still showed... What a, what a great country and, you know, God's country that, that it was. And this continued on for decades. People were taught, but the scariest one was the military. They started a program in the military where Truman decided that they were going to have mandatory conscription for everybody, not at wartime, but just everybody had to go in the military because they said, we can train them in religion and Americanism, God religion, and basically they're captive audiences. If we get all your 17-year-olds and give them intensive training, we'll have them. And so they, they started a pilot program at Fort Knox, right up the road from here. They ran these people through where they had hours and hours of forced religious training every day. They had a program when they came in, the chaplain says, we're going to get them to make a personal religious conversion, but the state is deciding they're going to have them do it at this time. And... They basically made all of the bartenders in the community as informants. So if they ever tried to go get a drink, they had an informant on them. They had to spend hours every day in religious training in front of their, their, uh, their uh, chaplains. And this went on for years. And they said, oh, well, look, 90% of these people are going to church. And it turns out as soon as they stopped it, they went straight down. They went back to their old ways of, you know, carousing and doing this kind of stuff. But the one group they kept doing it with was the officer corps. And they kept doing it with the officers where they had this non-stop training that America's a Christian nation and you are to basically bring about the kingdom of heaven through the military and through America. And that's where we get guys like Jerry Boykin and these guys today. These guys were made. They were raised in a culture, and that's why we hear this kind of stuff, and these military guys come on Fox News and stuff and say this is because they were trained, and there was a point in time when some people in a boardroom, intelligence officials, decided this is what they wanted to do, and this is the fruit of it that we still have today. What I'm really concerned about is what's buried in the testes of the Washington Monument and whether or not Smokey the Bear is a pagan god Buddha. That's what I'm really worried now about. Now you're talking about what's really going on in the Christian community yes. and the real debates. Yes, that's the real debates. Yeah, that's that's true. And I'm sure you're 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 getting more superior news sources than that. 
Those people are on the cutting edge, and that's why they're bringing in serious money. It's, it's because they're addressing the hold serious on, hold issues. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Smokey the Bear. Yes. Is a, uh, a what? How did you describe him? He's a, he's a he's a he's like a Buddha or something. He's he was made by the uh, the pagan Earth movement. Obviously, seventies. That's part of the agenda to to the evil agenda to stop uh, uh, forest fires. Yes, it, it yes. has yeah. something to do with earth worship too. I think. Yeah. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But he was I mean, like millennia old. We, they uh, keep trying God. to get us to care about trees <laughs> and the environment, and I'm so sick of it. I'm yeah. just so sick, Mike. I know. It's like there's fires. Like, is there are there any fires in America right now that we should be concerned about? Well, I don't think to, so. We need to be. I don't ra- think so. Adam. We need to be raking the forest. Would you notice that That's they only happen in liberal places like liberal California? <laughs> that can't be a coincidence. That's true. That's right. You know? That's true. It's the it's the laser weaponry. <laughs> well, it could be that they're bad, but it it could be that God's judgment. Is going on them for it. That's probably it, and that's why well, only the Lord works in mysterious ways. That's why tornadoes never happen in the Bible Belt. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Mike, thank you so much, Doctor Future, thank for, for doing this, for being here, being well, you in know studio. This show will one day when I run for office will be used against me, probably, <laughs> and my poll ratings will plummet, and they will wait on the eve of. Of like New Hampshire, Do- Doctor Future for Surgeon this. General. That's my uh, uh-huh. that's my vote. I'm gonna vote for you for Surgeon General. Oh, is that right? <laughs> well, now What's... wait. The last guy they were going to have for Surgeon General, um, who was the guy that ran for president? What's his name? Oh, Ben Carson. Ben Carson. What I liked is you know he as a neurosurgeon he endorsed that one medical supplement, the nutritional supplement that said would actually reverse Down syndrome. Which is a powerful. I mean, uh, that completely changes dietary. your chromosomes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You actually lose one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a powerful dietary supplement. So I don't know if I have that kind of expertise he has. <laughs> Man, I mean, what is it like? Yeah. Like strontium or something? I mean, like, <laughs> unobtainium. Unobtainium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's what's real quick? What's next for you, Doctor Future? Uh, other than like isolation and abandonment by the public, yes. Um, well, I still got I still got to finish this work in progress. It's my 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 rant, uh, and I'm going to probably release it installments on the blog just so I to let people get pin up and get their rage and yeah. Um, you know, it's funny uh, over the story of Purim, you know which was a festival that they decided on their own to do, the Jews, and how much they hate Haman. They have Haman knockers, which are these little noisemakers that anytime the name Haman is said in the book of Esther, they make noise so you can't hear his name. And I think they're going to make Mike Bennett knockers, where actually will people use it where my name will never be heard again after I read this, but that's okay. So anyway, I'm going to finish that, and then i got to get back to my wonderful anti-Sharia people that, that hate everybody and get back writing about them, get the Holy War Chronicles finished up, but I'm going to put my manifesto to try to alienate the few supporters I have. And I think probably the only place I'll be welcome is right here on Conspiracy Normal. Hopefully that's still the fact. Yes, it will always, always yes. be. And I'd be we'll lucky. Be. I'd be lucky to have your listeners as friends. And speaking that, uh, Rob, tell everybody about our Patreon. Oh uh, yeah, you can go. We've got all kinds of bonus content up there at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. There's, Tons of bonus episodes up there now. More to come. Always, always working on that. Uh, different tiers you can subscribe to. It helps support the show. It helps keep the scrolls out of the studio. And um, 
if you don't want to subscribe to something monthly, I'm still having squirrel issues, Adam. Don't laugh. You can go to our website and uh, you can make yeah, a one-time one in my contribution. Lap right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just dropped. Yeah, looking for nuts. <laughs> If you'd like to contribute to the show, but you don't want to subscribe or pay any money, just tell your friends or give us a nice review. What about if you're a wealthy industrialist or big oil? Can they be your patron at a... Yes, send us some money, but we're not going to endorse you. Well, yeah, don't <laughs> we mention their name. Money. Yeah, don't yeah. mention their name, but just... Uh, we may become uh, militaristic theocrats, though, for you. <laughs> just let yes. us know. In fact, that is a good way for the audience to know when you've been bought, is when you start giving that thing, and they'll say, okay... Now they've turned Alex Jones on us. That's right. You know? Right. Alex Jones is a classic case in point. You know, he used to look out for the little guy, you know, that was the guys with the shields working against and the big guys. And he suddenly realized there's no money, you know, in looking out for the little guy. And he found where the bread was buttered. So that's, that's a good warning for people. Hey, little guys, send us some butter. <laughs> and and that's where that's why Jesus really screwed up is that he honked off all of the powerful and wealthy people and you see what happened to him. Yep. Well that's a good place to end. We're not done with the year yet, guys. We still got our year review show. It'll be short. So but Rob will be probably more drunk. Oh, we're doing that next, huh? Yeah, we're doing oh, yeah. that next. Oh, I'm gonna be so drunk. <laughs> all right, all right. Very good. <laughs> That's gonna be fun, then. All right, guys, we'll be right. We'll be back on Conspiranormal. Looking for nuts. <laughs> this to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind boggling. We can't just believe that it was the work of these Siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-